This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin tonight with an episode from the program Nick Carter, Master Detective, starring Lon Clark in the title role. A little bit about him. As a youth in Minnesota, he studied at the McPhail Center for Music in Minneapolis. He began as a musician and actor in traveling tent shows, followed by a season with the Cincinnati Summer Opera. After participating in radio drama in Cincinnati, he arrived in New York during the 1940s, and his rich baritone voice quickly led to network radio shows. Clark was also a familiar voice on such programs as Norman Corwin Presents, playing opposite such performers as Fred Allen, Art Carney, Helen Hayes, and Orson Welles. And now tonight's show, entitled Vanishing Lady. The Linux Show, starring Nick Carter, Master Detective, presented by Acme, America's great producer of fine quality paints. This is the story of a man known the world over as one of the most daring and resourceful characters in the history of detective fiction. A man whose name has become a symbol of the triumph of right and justice over the sinister forces of crime and lawlessness. A man recognized as one of the great masters of deduction. Nick Carter, Master Detective. Today's exciting case, The Vanishing Lady. Another exciting chapter dramatized from the life story of Nick Carter. In just a moment, we'll hear how Nick Carter traced a woman who vanished on the steps of the Mercy Maternity Hospital and found out what really happened to her unborn heir. And now for today's exciting case from the life of Nick Carter. As we look in on Nick Carter today, we find him in his laboratory at the top of the old brownstone house on the corner of 5th and 4th. It is night. The laboratory is dark except for the strange unearthly glow of a small mercury vapor lamp which casts an eerie light into the intent and watchful eyes of the great detective, Nick Carter. There is silence. Someone moves in the shadow. You're right, Patsy. The ultraviolet ray shows that two different inks were used in the writing of this will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole job's a forgery. That's all. Turn on the lights. Oh, praise thee. Now I can go home and get a night's sleep for a change. Oh, no, not yet. Get the vaporizer ready. I want to test this sheet of paper for latent fingerprints. You want iodine or osmium tetroxide? 
Petroxide. I want to take pictures. Okay. Iodine just isn't photogenic. Now, take it oh. easy, Patsy. It's only the night bell. Somebody's at the front door, so... I guess I'll never get over having my stomach do nip-ups if a phone or a doorbell rings suddenly in the middle of the night. Here, you take this stuff. I'll go down and see who it is. Mr. Carter... You are Mr. Nick Carter. Why, yes. Uh, what seems to be the trouble? It's my wife. She's disappeared. We had a quarrel, and now she's gone. Well, I wouldn't be too upset, Mr... Ashford. Harold Ashford. But I am upset. Anyone would be. You see, she's going to have a baby. When? Now, any minute. I mean, any hour. She was on her way to the hospital. That's when she disappeared, right on the steps of Mercy Hospital. Why weren't you with her at the time? I just told you we had a quarrel. Don't, don't you see? Our... Now, look here, Mr. Ashford. Oh, just a minute, you... Nick. I think we'd get more information if we gave Mr. Ashworth a chance to collect himself. Here, sit down in this easy chair. Thanks. You're very kind, Mrs. Carter. I guess you've been through this yourself. Oh, no, my name's Bowen. Miss Patsy Bowen. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I apologize. <laughs> it's perfectly all right, Mr. Ashworth. You see, I was one of a large family, so I do know a little about these things. Mr. Carter, on the other no, hand... Now, look I... here, Patsy. Mr. Ashworth didn't come here, did he? Quiet, Nick. You may be tops when it comes to scientific detection, but how you ever passed in applied psychology? Now, Mr. Ashcroft, suppose you tell us all about it from the beginning. Yes. Yes, of course. Patsy, sometimes I have to hand it to you. Thanks. All right, Mr. Ashcroft, you and your wife are expecting a baby. Uh, what's her name, by the way? Nora. She was Nora Brent. Mm -hmm. Her two uncles own the Brent Tubing and Appliances Company. Then she has money. Oh, no. Her father was a minister. He died before we met. Her uncles never approved of me. You see, I've been married before. Widowed or divorced? Divorced. That's what her uncles didn't approve of. And besides, Nora's a good ten years younger than I am. They say I married her on the rebound. You see, she had a childhood sweetheart, Jim Stanley, a boy she'd known all her life. He was reported missing with a carrier that went down on the Pacific. That was two years ago. Nora was pretty cut up about it. My first wife had just run away with another man. So you consoled each other? Well, maybe just at first, but it didn't take long for us to realize that we were made for each other. You've got to believe me, Mr. Carter, we loved each other. We were ideally happy. No arguments? No differences of opinion? No, never. That is, not until today. And what happened today? This morning, a letter came for Nora. It was addressed to Nora Brent. Not Mrs. Ashford, mind you. And up in the corner of the envelope, the sender's name and address read... Chief Petty Officer Jim Stanley, Tappan Even Hospital. But that's the man she was in love with. The man who was supposed to be dead. Now he's in a hospital only five miles down the bay. I take it she got excited when she saw the letter. I knew she would, Mr. Carter, and, well, maybe it was jealousy. Maybe I was afraid of what might happen. You see, we we're expecting the baby almost any time, so... So what? So I destroyed the letter. Hmm. Very short-sighted. I realize that now, but I couldn't bear to think of losing her. I'd have done anything to prevent it. It would have been much better to have brought the whole thing out into the open. It's too late now. It's happened. Just what I was afraid of. We were sitting in my den after dinner tonight. I was so worried, I just couldn't seem to take my eyes off her. Pretty soon I realized I was making her nervous, so I said I thought I'd go to bed and read. I'd just got into my pajamas when the phone rang. I let Nora answer it because her uncle, Timothy Brent, generally called about that time to find out how Nora was feeling. Oh, so the uncles had forgiven her for marrying you. Oh, yes. Tim Brent's a swell guy. He came right around to see us as soon as Paul, the other uncle, died five months ago. But Paul never forgave us. He even cut Nora out of his will. Stubborn old customer, huh? 
And was it Uncle Tim on the telephone? No. I could hear Nora's voice, but not what she was saying. She was talking on the extension in the dining room. So pretty soon she opened the bedroom door. She was sort of quiet, white. Harold, what did you do with that letter? What? What letter, Nora? The one from Jim Stanley. I just talked to him. But, Nora, there wasn't any letter. You mean Jim's alive? Harold, you've never lied to me before. How could you? How could you? Nora, please, I can explain. I don't want any explanations. I don't want... <gasps> Nora. Nora, darling, what's wrong? What's the matter? Baby, I've got to get to the hospital. I've got... Nora, just... please, darling, don't be frightened. Just as soon as I get dressed again, I'll... I'll take it. It's probably Uncle Tim. Hello? Oh, yes, Uncle Tim. No, something's happened. It's the baby. I'm going to the hospital right away. Please call Dr. Jenkins and tell him that I need him. Time to come right away. Nora, for heaven's sakes, wait just a minute until I no. get... No, Harold, I'm going for good. I don't ever want to see you again. And she left without you? Yes. I heard the front door slam while I was putting on my shoes. I ran after her, but it's too late. Old Joe, that's the man who has the taxi on our corner, pulled away just as I ran out the front door. It was 20 minutes before I got another cab. I drove to Mercy Hospital as fast as I could make the driver go. It couldn't have taken us more than 12 minutes to get there, but it seemed like hours. What happened when you got to the hospital? I rushed up the steps into the reception room and demanded that the nurse ask at the desk to take me to my wife. And? They said they hadn't laid eyes on her. Maybe she went somewhere there. That's what I thought. I thought maybe she'd been in an accident, or maybe the baby had been born in the way. I thought all kinds of horrible things. Then I remembered Joe, the taxi driver, owned the cab my wife had driven off in, so I drove back home again. Joe swears he drove her straight to Mercy Hospital. He even watched her go up the steps and open the big front door. Very interesting. Patsy, I think we shall have to interview both Joe and the nurse at the desk. I was hoping you'd say that, Mr. Carter. I brought Joe along. His cab's waiting outside. He can drive us to the hospital. As we see Nick Carter again, he and Patsy and Harold Ashforth are in old Joe's cab, which is whirling them off to Mercy Hospital, on whose steps Mrs. Ashforth disappeared less than an hour previously as she was on her way there to have a baby. Nick is questioning the driver. Look here, Joe. Yeah? You're sure it was Mrs. Ashforth you drove to Mercy Hospital tonight? Sure, I'm sure. I'd know her anyways. When you got to the hospital, did you help her up the steps? No, I helped her out of the cab, and just as she opens the door, a man comes out from under the portico, and she runs to him. He puts his arms around her. So I guessed it was somebody she'd known, and I drove off. Who was this man? What did he look like? Well, I couldn't rightly say. It was too dark. I see. Well, here you are. Here's the hospital. Oh, wait here, Joe. We may need you again. Yes, sure. reception desk is over here, Mr. Carter. That's the nurse that told me my wife was... Well, look who's there talking, George. It's Uncle Tim. What's been going on here, I'd like to know. What if the baby did decide to arrive ahead of time? 
Plenty of hospitalists can't take care of cases like that. But I tell you, Mr. Brent, we didn't turn your niece away. Mrs. Ashford never came here. I swear to you, she never walked in that door. Then why did I just get this wire saying you were full up? Mind if I have a look at that telegram, Mr. Brent? And who in blazes are you? This is Nick Carter, Uncle Sam. He's trying to find out what's happened to Nora. Thunder, didn't you stick with Nora? You'd done your duty as a father. We'd know where she was. Suppose you let me look at that telegram and see what I can make of it. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Hmm. Mercy Hospital full. Mrs. Ashworth taken elsewhere. Everything under control. No cause for anxiety. Signed, Mrs. Mary Brown. Who's Mrs. Brown? Never heard of her. Hugh Harold? Name means absolutely nothing to me. Mary Brown. Nice, indefinite sort of name. Let's see. This telegram was handed in at the Midtown Station at 10.45. That was only a few minutes after Nora left the house. Yes. Interesting. When did you receive the telegram, Mr. Brent? About ten minutes ago. I came right over here. I only lived three blocks away. Why didn't you receive it earlier? Should have had it three quarters of an hour ago. I suppose I would have if I'd been home, but I went to a late movie. Patsy. Yes, Nick. Suppose you go to the telegraph office as where I was sent from. See if you can get a line and who handed it in. Then get hold of a nurse's registry. It's just possible there may be a nurse by the name of Mary Brown. Okay. There is. Find out what hospital or sanatorium she works out of. Report back to Mr. Ashworth's apartment. Right, Nick. I'm on my way. And you, Mr. Ashworth, I suggest you go home. I have a hunch you'll get a telegram yourself in the not-too-distant future. You think so? Maybe there's one there already. I'll see you later. Mr. Brent. Tell me, you really think your niece is still in love with this fellow, Jim Stanley? It's my personal opinion, Mr. Carter, that she found she didn't love her husband. She took that way out to sort of keep him at arm's length. Well, I guess I'll be getting on home. Unless there's something more I can do for you. No, I think you've done everything we could expect, Mr. Brent. But there are still a few questions I'd like to ask the nurse at the reception desk. Good night. Good night, Mr. Carter. Now then, sister. Honest, Mr. Carter, Mrs. Ashworth didn't come here tonight. We don't turn away cases like hers ever. Mr. Ashworth's doctor, what's his name? Stevens. He takes care of all the Brents and the Ashworths. Did he show up at any time tonight? Oh, no, sir. He hasn't been here all evening. And yet Nora told her uncle to get hold of him. I wonder. Oh, I see there's a telephone down the hall. Suppose you ask the operator to connect me with the ambulatory ward at Tappan Base Hospital. And while I'm getting that call, you might phone Dr. Stevens' house and find out for me why he didn't get round to deliver the Ashworth baby. Oh, let him think it's a routine inquiry from the hospital. Will you do that for me? Oh, anything I can do for you is a pleasure, Mr. Carter, I'm sure. Thanks, sister. I'll take the call down here. Gee. Myrtle. And connect the gentleman on the hall phone with the Tappan Base Hospital. Yeah, the Tappan Base Hospital, the ambulatory ward. Yeah, it's Mr. Nick Carter, the detective. Hurry up, will you, Myrtle? Hello? Is this the doctor in charge of the ambulatory ward? That's right. Nick Carter speaking. I want to find out about a patient named Jim or James Stanley. Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Carter. What would you like to know? Where is he now? Well, I don't know. He made a telephone call earlier in the evening, and apparently it upset him very much. He said he had to get into town at once, so, well, we let him go. 
He didn't say where he was going? No, but I gather it was somewhere in town. If you think there's anything that I can no, do... No, no, no. That's quite all right. Thanks. Oh, Mr. Carter, I got Dr. Stevens' house. He's out on an emergency. He never got the call about Mrs. Ashford. Gee, it must have been a big emergency. Hey, where you going, Mr. Carter? Prevent another emergency, I hope. Thanks, Joe. Okay. Which is the Ashforth apartment? Ground floor right, just inside the front door. Thanks. Oh, yes. Somebody there, all right. Lights lit, shades drawn. Now, what's that? Two figures. Male. Red Jupiter, one of them's got a gun. Oh, they call boy. No time for a door. Here we go through the window. Right up with your hands, both of you. But he shot at me. Maybe, but he didn't hit you. She undoubtedly would have if he meant to kill you. That's right. I... Well, I was just trying to keep him off me. He's got some crazy idea that I ran away with his wife. I take it your chief petty officer, Jim Stanley. That's right. I found out today this guy had married Nora. Well, she sounded sort of upset when I talked to her on the phone, so I thought I'd just drop around and size up the situation. If he wasn't treating her right, I was going to beat his ears in. Nora and I grew up together. We were like brother and sister. You see, Mr. Stanley, unfortunately, Mr. Ashforth's wife disappeared just after you talked to her. And somehow, he rather imagined she might have run away with you. So that's why he jumped me. Oh, but he's got it all wrong about me and Nora. Oh, we had a crush when we were in school, but I married a girl in Australia three years ago. I wrote Nora at the time, and she wrote back wishing me luck. Well, she never told me that. We women do strange things sometimes to keep our boyfriends guessing. Oh, Patsy, stay away from that broken window. Wait for me outside. Don't worry, I'm not the one who takes chances. Oh, look, Nick, I found out about the telegram, and there's no Mary Brown Miss or Mrs. in the nurse's registry. And the telegram was handed in by a man. In fact, I think he sent another. I ran into Miss Patsy coming round the corner. Oh, Miss Brandt, hello. Yes, I had a hunch you'd get another wire. Let's have a look. No, don't try to come in. Patsy will hand it up. Here you are, Nick. Thanks. Your grandniece and her mother doing beautifully at Clay Sanatorium. Come and bring the papa. Mrs. Ashforth keeps asking for him. And no signature. She wants me. Nora wants me. And the baby's here. I have a little girl. It's wonderful. Where's my hat? No, I haven't got time. Come on, everybody. seem to have kept you rather busy tonight. Well, that's all right by me. It just shows me meter keeps ticking. I'm a father. Father of a baby girl. Sure, pal. Maybe you'll have better luck next time. After all, you and Nora are still young. Uh, just what did you mean, Mr. Brent, about better luck next time? Anything unlucky about a baby girl? My brother, as you probably know, disinherited Nora. However, he did leave a codicil to his will. He couldn't bear to think of the Brent factory going out of the family. So he said that if Nora ever had a son, he would inherit my brother's share of the business. You see, my brother was a woman hater at heart. So having a girl baby cost Harold a half a million dollars. I see. Well, here you are, Clay Sanitarium. Fancy looking place, ain't it? 
fancy and expensive. Well, some of the very best babies get themselves born here. Old Dr. Jeremiah Clay is famous for that. He's brought more millionaires into the world than you can shake a stick at. Too bad Mr. Ashford's daughter isn't a millionaire, too. Oh, money doesn't matter. It's my wife and daughter who really count now. I'm glad you've come. Welcome, Mr. Brandt, and congratulations to you, sir. Uh, you must be the father. Sorry, I haven't that honor. This is Mr. Ashforth. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, this way, Mr. Ashforth, please. The new mother is so anxious to see you. Uh, this way, please. Uh, such a curious case. Women are often most unreasonable at these times. Didn't want the family informed. Of course, the minute it was all over, when she saw the baby, complete return to normalcy. Wanted the family at once. Uh, this is her room. Sorry, I'm afraid only the father can go in. Uh, uh, just at first, you know. Nora. Oh, Nora, darling. Oh, Harold. Oh, dearest. Oh, my darling. Oh, oh, Harold, do. Please, darling. It really wasn't so bad. I had a very easy time. It's a girl, you know. I'm sorry. Oh, dearest, I don't care what it is. Just as long as you run. Billy, of course I do. It's funny when they showed her to me. It's like being introduced to a perfect stranger. Oh, darling, we'll get acquainted with her. Together. Well, come on, Nick. Our job's finished. Let's go home. Oh, Dr. Clay. Yes? I think I'd like to have a look at Mrs. Ashforth's baby. Of course. I'll have her nurse show it to you. Uh, just a moment, please. This is the first time I ever knew you to show an interest in the nursery. I'm playing a hunch, Betsy. Oh? A hunch that may split this case wide open. Mr. Carter, this is where we keep the babies. I'm sorry you can't go in, but I've asked the other nurse to bring the baby to the window. I'll motion to her. You haven't many babies here, have you? No, this is a small private hospital, you see. Oh, there she is. It's a fine, healthy-looking little girl, isn't she? So that's supposed to be the Ashforth baby. Hmm? What do you mean, supposed? There's a name on a tag. I put it there myself. That baby's at least three days old. Moreover, force it to use it or delivery. Patsy, you heard Mrs. Ashforth say she had a very easy time. Nick, you mean it's been a mistake? Mistake nothing. It's been a criminal substitution. Nurse, how much did Mr. Timothy Brent pay you to substitute a girl for a boy baby? How dare you? I'll call Dr. Clay and have you arrested for slander. Oh, no, you won't. Of course, if you do, I'll insist that the police take a blood test of that baby. And if that test proves the baby's blood does not belong to Mr. and Mrs. Asforth's blood group, you'll end up in behind bars for a long, long stretch. Oh, no. No, don't. I'll tell you everything. I did it for Timothy Brent. He said his niece would lose her mind if she had a boy baby. He said that... You lie. I had nothing to do with it. You did, Mr. Brent. You brought her here. You arranged for the whole thing. Are you double-crossing the... Easy, easy. You'll wake the patient's. Now then, nurse, where's the real Ashworth baby, the boy? In the first crib by the door, Mr. Carter. You're sure there's no mistake this time? Yes, that's the Ashworth baby. Very well. Patsy, I think we'll introduce him to his mother. We'll talk to you later, nurse, and to you, Mr. Brent. I wouldn't have done it, but Mr. Brent said... I have nothing to do with this, Mr. Later, Brent, later. All right, Patsy, go get the baby. Don't you want to carry him in, Nick? Oh, good heavens, no. I'm afraid I might break him. Ah, uh, here we are. All right. Come, come on, Bessie. Come on, come on. 
Come in. Well, Mrs. Ashworth, it seems there's been a slight mix-up. The baby they brought you before belonged to someone else. So we, well, we thought you might like to see yours. It's a boy. A boy? Bring him in, Patsy. Okay. Young man, this is your mother. Oh, 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 give him to me, please. Here you are. Well, look at him screw his face up. He's so, so homely and so darling. I'd know he belonged to us anywhere. In just a moment, Nick will tell you the clues that enabled him to solve the case of the vanishing lady. Nick, why didn't you have that old reprobate Uncle Tim Brent arrested? Yes, Nick. How come you let him go free? Well, when the DA's office goes over his books in order to straighten out the kid's inheritance, they'll do plenty to him without my help. Oh, of course. So that's why he had to change the boy for a girl. He's been up to some shenanigans with his brother's fortune. Obviously. Well, Nick, when did you first suspect the uncle? Right away. Oh, just like that, eh? Well, it couldn't have been anybody else. The man who met Nora on the hospital steps had to be responsible for her disappearance. Only two men knew she was on her way to the hospital. Her husband and her uncle. That's right. Her husband was left at the post, never caught up with her. Therefore, it had to be the uncle. Well, Nick, that was quite a story. Now, what can you tell us about next week's case? Well, let's see. Next week, I think I'll tell you about the pompous chemical magnet who rang our doorbell one evening, clad in pajamas, overcoat, and bare feet. And the pajama legs were partly burned off. In fact, that was the third night in a row that the old boy had been thrown out of a hotel because he... Uh, hold it, Patsy, hold it. Let's not give the whole plot away. That comes next week. Well, what do you call that story, Nick? I call it The Strange Case of the Involuntary Firebug. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is featured in Street and Smith magazines. Lon Clark is starred as Nick with Helen Choate as Patsy. Original music is played by Lou White. The programs are written by Edith Miser, and any resemblance therein to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. The entire production is under the direction of Jock McGregor. Master Detective is presented at this time and over these same stations each week by the three great Linux home brighteners. Linux clear gloss varnish, Linux cream polish, and Linux self-polishing wax created by Acme, America's great producer of Acme fine quality paints. This is Ken Powell speaking for the thousands of Linux dealers all over America and saying so long until next week. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly, portrayed by real-life husband and wife Jim and Marion Jordan. 
Now, Jim wanted to be a singer, and Marion wanted to be a music teacher. Both attended the same Catholic church where they met at choir practice. Marion's parents had attempted to discourage her professional aspirations, and when she started seeing Jim Jordan, her family were far from approving of either him or his ideas. Jim's voice teacher gave him a recommendation for work as a professional in Chicago, and he followed it. He was able to gain steady employment, but soon tired of life on the road and headed home. He went to work in Peoria for the post office. Marion's parents now found Jim and his career to be acceptable, and they stopped objecting to the couple's marriage plans. So the pair were married in Peoria in August of 1918. While staying with his brother in Chicago in 1924, the family was listening to the radio, and Jim said he and Marion could do better than the musical act that was currently on the air. Well, Jim's brother bet him $10 they couldn't. To win the bet, Jim and Marion went to WIBO, where they were immediately put on the air, and at the end of the performance, the station offered the couple a contract for a weekly show, which paid $10 a week. Here's the episode where they welcome the great Gildersleeve. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Jimmy Shields and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Hi Ho! this holiday season, a good many friends will be dropping in to wish you a happy new year. And no matter how friendly they may be, they'll be looking over your home with a critical eye. They'll notice your floors, your tabletops and woodwork, your windowsills, your lampshades. Now, if all these things are wax-protected, you'll receive their compliments, because a gleaming coat of genuine Johnson's wax adds rich beauty to your home, keeps dirt and dust from collecting, wards off scratches and smudgy fingerprints. The most careful housekeepers have discovered that genuine Johnson's Wax is the easy way to keep their home spick and span, at the same time saving many hours of work throughout the year. Johnson Waxed floors grow more mellow, more beautiful with every waxing. They never need scrubbing. Johnson Waxed furniture and woodwork is easy to keep clean, is protected against stains and dirty fingerprints. You'll find 100 extra labor-saving uses for Johnson's Wax listed right on the package. You can buy this famous wax polish in either paste or liquid form. Order some tomorrow. saying that house guests and fish spoil after the first three days. But Fibber's Uncle Sycamore must have had a head start, because here at the railroad station, waving goodbye to the old miser, who after a two-day stay has just boarded the train for home, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Wave, McGee. He sees us out the window. Huh? Oh. Goodbye, Uncle Sycamore. Goodbye. 
Except Dad rather train and pull out. My arm's getting tired waving. Goodbye, Uncle Sycamore. You old turtle. Oh, look, McGee. He's smiling at us. That ain't us. He just thought of a way to jip the porter out of a tip. <laughs> Goodbye, Uncle Sycamore. Goodbye. Ah, there he goes. Ah, well, thank goodness. For more reasons than one. Goodbye, Uncle Sycamore. Goodbye. Phew, what a relief. Wonder what time he'll get back to Peoria. I don't know. I'll find out. Here's the information booth. Hey, bud, when's that train get to Peoria? Well, let me look at the timetable in a minute. <coughs> Whoops. Pardon me. Uh, now, um... Yeah, let's see. Trains to Peoria. Oh, yes, here we are. It gets to Peoria two a- hours after leaving Chillicothe... <coughs> after leaving Chillicothe... <coughs> Don't worry, it'll get there. <laughs> Well, incidentally, what time is it now, sir? Well, it depends what kind of time you were inquiring, asking about. Now, there are Central Standard, Eastern Daylights, Mountain, Pacific, Pacific, Pacific. It's 11.30. Oh, thanks, bud. We should have saved that guy for next week, Molly. Yeah. <laughs> He'd sound more natural the day after New Year's. <laughs> Well, come on, let's go home. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, little girl. That's okay, mister. What you doing down here? <laughs> You're a little young to be interested in traveling salesmen. I bet you I'm not, I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no. I... <laughs> Gee, do we have to do this every week, mister? <laughs> I know, not if you quit arguing. I'm not arguing, I bet you. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. Oh, no. <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> now, look, sis, all I said was you're not interested in traveling salesmen. I am interested in traveling salesmen because my daddy is one and I'm waiting for him, I bet you. Oh, why didn't you say so? You didn't ask me. Huh? Oh, well, no, I guess I didn't. Didn't what? Didn't ask you. Ask me what? Huh? Hmm? I says you... Oh, let it go. Run along and meet your daddy. Okay, I guess I better. We got a wire for him and he's awful upset, I bet you. Somebody stole his briefcase off the train. Uh-oh, they did, eh? Hmm? <clears throat> they stole his briefcase, eh? Gee, did they? <laughs> Dad, Rattle, you said they did. Sure they did. Uh-huh. And there was a fortune in it, too, I bet you. And then some. Oh, boy. What does your old man sell? Diamonds? No, magazines. <laughs> How could there be a fortune in them things? Well, there was, I bet you. There was a Collier's, a Piccolo, a Time, a Click, and a fortune. <laughs> well, so long, mister. <laughs> Oh, come on, Molly. Let's get out of here. I'm All right, Red Cap. These, these bags get over to the Fitzcarlton Hotel library now. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Call me a cab. Yeah. Yes, yes. You better make it a couple of cabs. Load these bags in, the steamer roll, those briefcases, and the radio. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Get a load of Mr. Big. Who does he think we think he is, anyway? Well, I guess that's all, boys. Here's ten dollars. Split that up among you. Wow, let's go. Yes, sir. Oh, boy. Ten bucks. Hey, bud, let me carry a couple of them bags. McGee, come back here. Shame on you. Dad, read it, Molly. Can't I pick up an honest penny without For you? For heaven's sakes, will you be quiet? I know that man. What? You do? Why, sure. How come you know a big shot like that there? Well, he wasn't a big shot when I knew him. He was only... Oh, dear, he sees me. I beg your pardon, but 
Aren't you Miss Driscoll of Peoria? Otis! Molly! Oh, well, my, well, isn't this so amazing? Fancy running into you here. <laughs> oh, it's been so long. Uh, oh, oh, my heavens. Uh, well, it's just a... I oh, never would have believed oh, it. Hey, you. You have changed a bit. All right, all right. Here's a quarter for a cup of coffee. Now run along, Sonny. <laughs> oh, Molly, it's good to see you again. How many years has it been? Oh, wait a minute, Otis. Uh, McGee, where are you going? I'm going to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> you heard what the man said. No. <laughs> My husband is such a joker, Otis. Your... your husband? Yes. That little squirrel... Oh, well, well, well. So little Molly Driscoll is married. McGee, this is Otis Cadwallader, with whom I used to go to school with. <laughs> Otis, this is me husband, Fibber. Oh, hi, Otis. Oh, glad to know you, Mr. Driscoll. Uh, tell me, Otis, how long are you going to be in Wistful Vista? Oh, just a short stay, Molly. Business, you know. Uh, well, I'm sorry you ain't staying longer, Otis. Old man, like to have you up to the house for supper. My dear fellow, I certainly wouldn't pass up a chance like that to talk to Molly. Oh, now, Otis. I'll tell you what. Let's just have a quiet snack at your house. Huh? And you tell your butler you're not at home to anyone else. Oh, uh, hey, 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 now, wait a minute. I, uh, we, I'll we, be uh, there at, oh, let's say around 8 o'clock. Oh. Well, I don't want to be late for my board meeting, so until 8... Bonjour, ma chérie. Bonjour, monsieur. Il trovatore, bud. <laughs> ah, my, my. Think of meeting Otis Cadwallader right here in Wistful Vista of all places. Yeah, I guess they're kind of letting the bars down on immigration these days. <laughs> now, you stop talking that way, McGee. Otis is a very nice man. Not only that, I... Uh, well, I almost married him. What? Well, let me be the first to congratulate you on getting me instead. <laughs> or am I the first? Uh, McGee, did you hear what he said about our butler and all? He thinks we're... Ri I mean, how can we entertain a wealthy man like Otis when... No, oh, perish no, the no, thought. Now, Molly, don't you worry about a thing. I'll fix everything. We can borrow some silver from Mrs. Uppington, oh, dilly the house up a little, and I'll get us a butler if I have to hire Arthur Treacher. Oh, my. Come on, let's take a cab. Uh, no, let's walk. I, I, I can think better on my feet. On or with? Huh? Oh. Well, come on, we got to hurry home. Thank you. 
look, Molly. Pretty good, eh? Oh, yes. I borrowed them rubber plants from Joe's Tavern. Oh. <laughs> Nick Topopoulos let me take that marble statue out of his candy kitchen. Beautiful, ain't it? Hmm. Who's it supposed to be? I think he says it was Aphrodite or something like that. <laughs> now, let's see. How else can we impress that uh, million candle power ex-flame of yours? Now, look here, McGee. Uh, I want you to be very nice to Otis. Remember, he's a cultured, well-traveled... What do you mean, well-traveled? I've been further under the barn looking for eggs than that guy will ever go. Well, now, just the same, Otis is a very nice boy. And what's more, our senior class voted him the man most likely to make something of himself. <laughs> sure made something of himself, all right. I ain't saying exactly what, but... <laughs> I'll bet he'd whinny if you offered him a lump of sugar. <laughs> All right, I thought you were going to help me, and here you are. Come in. Oh, there, Mrs. McGee. Hello there, Fibber. Oh, it's Mr. Gildersleeve. How do you do, Mr. Gildersleeve? Did you have a nice Christmas? Why do we care whether he had a nice Christmas or not? Oh, my. Any guy that'd take the attitude you did, Gildersleeve, over me shoveling off your sidewalk. McGee, that's what I came over here for. Oh, yeah. All Christmas Day, I was thinking this thing over. I came to the conclusion that I had been entirely wrong. It was a very neighborly thing for Pibber to shovel off my sidewalk. Yeah, and I used my own show snuffle, too. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was wrong to quarrel about it. I want to apologize. Shake hands, McGee. Well, uh... McGee, shake hands. Okay, Molly, shake. No, not with me, with Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh. Uh, now, now, look here, now. I don't want to go for any old stuff. Out. All right, all right, all right. Forget it, Gildersleeve. Thank you, McGee. And I hope I can make it right with you some way. I'll do anything you say to make amends. Oh, shucks. Gildersleeve, you don't have to... Hey, wait a minute. You say you'll do anything? Just name it. Anything. Okay, Gildersleeve. You're a butler. <laughs> oh, wonderful, McGee. Butler? I don't understand, McGee. Look, Gildersleeve, we got a guest coming. A big shot, see? And we'd like to make a good impression on him. So you're going to act as our butler. Now, wait a minute, McGee. <laughs> Seems to me you're taking advantage of the situation. Ah, now you promised, Mr. Gildersleeve. You betcha. Oh, dear. Well, all right, when do I start? As soon as you can get ready. We want you to serve dinner. And remember, don't you cross us up. You go through with this all the way, see? McGee, when Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve makes a promise, there's no more to be said. Oh, my. I'll be the perfect butler. I'll go further than that. I'll go to a costume company and rent a uniform. My <laughs> <laughs> George, this might be fun after all. A butler. <laughs> I'll be right back, McGee. <laughs> Well, we got a butler. Now, how about dinner? Is it going to be plain or formal? Well, we're having corned beef and cabbage. Mm -hmm. I suppose that makes it informal. Yeah, we better not call it corned beef and cabbage in front of Otis. No? Oh, no. We'll, we'll call it uh, venison O'Malley or something. <laughs> now, about that... If, if I get... Oh, 
hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Harlow. Hello, folks. Uh, Johnson's Wax is positively the finest furniture and floor polish that money can buy. Hey. It protects and beautifies all wood surfaces and cuts dusting down to a minimum, thus giving many more hours of leisure in which to enjoy the new beauty and spotlessness which it gives your home or office. Yeah, Johnson's well, Wax Heavenly is... days, Mr. Wilcox. What are you doing? Well, I'm telling the people about Johnson's Wax. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, but that ain't the way we do it. Okay. Usually you come in with some tricky little... Well, why should I sneak in here with some phony alibi to get my sales talk across? I'm proud of Johnson's Wax. Well, shucks, so are we, but... Why, certainly. So why should we beat around the bush all the time? Well... Let's come right out with it. Johnson's Wax is a great product and doesn't need to crawl into its own show with false whiskers. Oh, sure. Remember, folks, Johnson's Wax at your nearest dealers. So long, kids. Oh. <laughs> hey, Molly. We can't let him get away with that there stuff like that there. And, uh, <laughs> why not? I thought he was very straightforward and sincere. Well, that's just it. That guy's going to take all the mystery and glamour out of this business. Why, he'll ruin us. First thing you know, every sponsor on the air will think he has a right to bust into his program and start selling stuff. Oh. Well, that is serious. Well, I'll say that. Hey, Molly, what's that smell? Oh, heavenly days, the corned beef and cabbage. Oh. I better run out and see how it's coming along. You get busy now. Yeah. Hey, maybe that's Otis now. Wish I had my shoes on. <laughs> Come in. Oh, there, McGee. I rented this butler's uniform at the costume company. <laughs> how do I look, kid? Throckmorton? Yes. What? Throckmorton, as long as you are employed in this house, you will please maintain a more respectful attitude. <laughs> now go upstairs and lay out my brown coat and pants and the green sweater and tennis shoes. <laughs> now look here, McGee. I just came into this thing. Now because... you listen here, Gildersleeve. You do what I tell you or the. Oh, here's Otis. Now you remember your promise, Gildersleeve. Well, all right. Hey, Molly, Otis is here. You better slice the bread. Open the door, Throckmorton. Play, Billy. Sing, Jimmy. I didn't know what time it was Then I met you what a lovely time it was How sublime it was too I didn't know what day it was You held my hand Warm like the month of May it was And I'll say it was grand Grand to be alive To be young To be mad To be yours alone face, feel your touch, hear your voice, say I'm all your own. I didn't know what year it was, life was no pride. I wanted love and here it was, shining out of your eyes. I'm wise and I know Your voice say I'm all your own. 
is all out of butter. Oh, here, take the rest of mine, Otis, old man. <laughs> I've hardly touched it. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. I don't believe that I... Uh, and uh, Throckmorton. Uh, yes, sir? Mr. Cadwallader is out of water. Yeah, we want the waiter with the water for Mr. Cadwallader. <laughs> ah, the same little Molly Driscoll, I see. <laughs> oh, now, Otis. <laughs> And Throckmorton, I told you to give Mr. Cadwallader and Mrs. McGee the two good glasses and put the jelly glass at my place. I'm sorry, sir. Oh, it's so hard to get good servants nowadays, Otis, you know. Yes, I know. I have the same trouble in this country myself. Although the overseer of my castle in Scotland more or less takes those matters out of my hands. We had to give up our castle in Scotland. Mm -hmm. The Heather gave me husband the hay fever. Yes, sir. Throckmorton. Uh, yes, sir. Run out to the icebox and get Mr. Cadwallader another olive. <laughs> Very well, McGee. <clears throat> Odd sort of chap, Throckmorton. Been with you long? Oh, been with the family for years. <laughs> Cad, old man. And he's so dependable, yeah. what with all the entertaining we do. Oh, you entertain a great deal, huh? Oh, I'll say so, Otis. In fact, one of the patrons of the opera, the wealthy Mrs. Uppington, you know, said she might drop in tonight for a liquor. <laughs> liquor, dearie. You see, Otis, so many of our friends are in the bucks yeah. that... Uh... Uh, in uh, the bucks? Yeah, you know... Well healed. Plenty of guilt. You know. Beg pardon, sir. Your olive. <laughs> olive? Oh, yes, yes, thanks. Prof Morton, that's no way to serve an olive with the sugar tongs. Sorry, madam. I couldn't find the ice pick. <laughs> that's different. And Throckmorton... Mr. Cadwallader would like more cabbage. Yes, sir. More cabbage for Mr. Cardwobbler. Cadwallader. Yes, ma'am. Mm. A charming neighborhood, this, Molly. Must be very restful after traveling so much of the year. Oh, we find it so, Otis. Yeah, we got pretty good neighbors, too, Otis. Though we don't mix with them much. They're mostly middle class. <laughs> Give Otis a toothpick, Molly. This, this Dublin duck is kind of tough. <laughs> Yes, Otis, we got pretty nice neighbors. All except the one next door. <laughs> a bloke named Gildersleeve. <laughs> McGee, be careful. Beg pardon, Mr. McGee. Your elbow. Huh? It's in the mustard again. 
Oh, thanks, Gildas... Uh, Throckmorton. Oh, come, come, Otis. You're not eating anything. My goodness, you've been pecking at your food like a bird. <laughs> yeah, a vulture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Cadwallader, old chop. <laughs> oh, it's quite all right. <laughs> Molly, I don't believe I can eat another thing, except I would like a cup of coffee. Oh, all right, Otis. Uh, McGee, let's have coffee in the library. Oh, it's too late, Molly. They close at 7.30. <laughs> Oh, that's excellent, Fido. Excellent. Oh, no. Fido. It's uh, Fibber, Otis. Oh, yes, yes. Fibber. Answer the phone, Throckmorton. Answer it yourself. My feet hurt. Throckmorton. Uh, yes, madam. Uh, sorry, sir. <clears throat> McGee residence? Who? Uh, just a moment, sir. I'll inquire. Uh, beg pardon, Mr. McGee. Huh? Somebody about the radio. Oh, tell him I'll pay him tomorrow. <laughs> thank you, sir. Don't thank me. I ain't paying you. No, sir. <laughs> Hello? Yes? No, he refuses to speak, sir. I beg pardon? Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I see. <laughs> Yes, yes, I'll tell him about it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yes, thank you, sir. Goodbye. <laughs> A little more dignity, please, Throckmorton. <laughs> yes, madam. <laughs> oh, uh, you pardon me, madam. I think I hear the good humor man with the dessert. <laughs> Well, we have to make allowances for Throckmorton, Otis. He's been with us so long, he hates the whole family. Throckmorton, answer the door. Yes, madam. <laughs> right away, madam. <laughs> oh, how do you do, Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes. I was hardly expecting uh, to say... Beg pardon, madam. Uh, Throckmorton is the name. Oh, come, 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 Mr. Gildersleeve. I'd know you anywhere, <laughs> even with that horrible uniform on. <laughs> Oh, really? I didn't know I was intruding on a masquerade. Uh, <laughs> please, Mrs. Uppington. Uh, <laughs> well, it's uh, it's difficult to explain, madam, but... <laughs> Let me announce you, madam. Mrs. Abigail Uppington. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. Oh, how do you do, my dear? And uh, Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppy. Er, I mean... <laughs> How do you do, Mrs. Uppington? Uppy, shake hands with old friend of Molly's, Mr. Otis Cadwallader. Oh, how do you do? How do you do? Uh, won't you sit down and have a shot of coffee, Mrs. Uppington? <laughs> Brockmorton, a demitasse for Mrs. Uppington. And put a saucer under it, too. <laughs> Let's do this thing right. Yes, sir. <laughs> right away, sir. <laughs> Oh, please, Mr. McGee, I can't stay, you know. I just wanted to explain why I couldn't loan you my silverware oh, this afternoon. Whoa, whoa. Uh, <laughs> oh, we were just joking about that, Mrs. Yeah. Uppington. Joking? Well, oh, sure. I, I'm afraid I don't quite understand. I'm afraid there are some things here that I don't understand either. Well, Mrs. McGee, will you explain this? Mr. Gildersleeve in that butler's uniform, oh, I don't quite... Gildersleeve? Uh, but I thought... Why, you were speaking of a next-door neighbor named Gildersleeve, I believe. You uh, well, you see, Otis, we, uh, well... Uh... Be quiet, Throckmorton. Throckmorton? Yes. Why, that's Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, I never heard of... 
Well, I must say I resent being made the victim of such a stupid practical joke, whatever it is. Oh, now wait, Mrs. Uppington, please. It's all very simple. Yes, you certainly are, all of you. Oh. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> Quiet, Throckmorton. You see, oldest old man, this is all very embarrassing. Uh, never mind the explanations. I feel that I, too, am the victim of some practical joke. Molly, it's nice to have seen you. My hat, Throckmorton. Oh, now, Otis, please. Where are my gloves, Throckmorton? <laughs> In your hat, Mr. Catterwalder. <laughs> Thanks. Good evening, Molly. Well, I'll oh, be... Oh, a... dear, oh, dear, me lovely dinner. Ah, <laughs> oh, what are you laughing at? That telephone, McGee, about the radio, remember? Well, what of it? Those repairmen didn't have no business dunning me over the phone. That wasn't the repairmen. Well, you said it was about a radio. Yes, it was. That was the pot of gold program calling you. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, folks, our time is up. Happy New Year. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night at this same time. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Screen Guild Theater, followed by Father Knows Best. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.